To the sleeper and the bust. This is episode number one eight seven. I was about to drop a little uh, <laughs> West Coast rap there. I'm gonna <laughs> skip on that. It is episode one eight seven on a on a Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm not doing too bad. Long weekend uh, doing this, and I've got the Royal Rumble on mute. For those who know me, you know wrestling is one of my guilty pleasures. So I'm currently uh, watching the Miz step down the runway. Which is going to tell me that the, that uh, Ms. Dow is going to come out and save his butt at some point here during this. Oh, you disappoint me. You disappoint me. It is my guilty pleasure, brother. <laughs> I've been watching it a long time. Uh, I don't. I, I don't even want to hear an excuse for why this amuses you, my friend. <laughs> it's it's a divas. It's all about the divas. <laughs> Garcia. Nice. Well, um, we are glad to have Jason back and again. We you know, our we last touched base with you. It's been about five weeks, I think, um, just before the holidays uh, was our, our last Sunday together. And uh, obviously, a lot has happened since then. But most recently, some news just since this past Thursday. Uh, we're going to get into that, I think, pretty pretty quickly. Uh, we'll start with now. What's your obviously. Uh, Team situation aside, as far as their anticipation, whether they anticipated this type of thing or not, uh, but the A's found out or and announced uh, at the end of this past week that Sean Doolittle has a slight tear in his rotator cuff, uh, as well as information and irritation in that shoulder. It's the, obviously the throwing shoulder, left shoulder, and he won't be ready for the start of the season. Um, it's not clear how much time he's going to miss, and hopefully we get a clearer picture. I mean, this is... This is the part of the thing where, like, this is the frustrating part is if you're a fantasy owner as well as a fan that uh, the – just the, the the sheer lack of knowledge as far as when he might be available again because there's – and there's no surgery involved. Um, where Yet. Yes, 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 yet. Um, but rest and, and, all, and rehab and all that stuff is the and, – and players come back from these kind of slight injuries like this, assuming that the assessment and everything like that is correct. Uh, but this is – and – in my mind, uh, when they when they acquired Tyler Clippard, he was strictly going to be the setup guy. I didn't think that there was any issue as far as Doolittle being closer. Doolittle is already getting paid. Uh, he's getting paid basically like toward the back end guy, but still kind of he's a deal in that regard. And he's one of the top relievers in the game. Uh, I don't think there's really there really be an issue. I mean, a Clippard is going to be kind of forever to me, kind of the. The uh, what's the the bridesmaid, <laughs> I right. guess. As long as there's somebody else that available to do it, but this is a, this is a tough situation to navigate if you're a fantasy owner. Obviously, drafts are up to a month or two months away. But uh, what's your kind of feeling on this situation? Well, I think Oakland did a really good job of keeping this news quiet until they got this Tyler Clipper uh, deal uh, thing done, and, and good for them. I mean, Clippers had the skills. You look back last year. You know, even with the Nationals a couple of times, you look to say, you know what, he's got, if he ever had the opportunity, he could do it. But he was just so valuable in that long relief, you know, that long high leverage relief role where he could throw a second inning, unlike some of these other guys. Mm -hmm. So getting the skill, the skills will play out with Doolittle. There's a couple things that worry me. One, this is rotator cuff, so it's shoulder. Shoulder's where the velocity comes from. So that concerns me. And you have the, 
when they go, you always have to try to avoid surgery. And it gets to your point about frustrations. You, you, surgery is never a guaranteed thing, especially with the shoulder. It's a little easier with the elbow for whatever, despite you know Chris Medlin and Brandon Beachy aside, it typically the elbow is more successful than shoulder surgery. So it's it's no guarantee. So you have to give these guys that op, you know, give them the opportunity to do this without uh, having to worry about his uh, surgery with the shoulder. That said, if it doesn't work, then you go to surgery and then he's done for the year. That's what has to happen with the shoulder. You just don't have a shoulder surgery and the guys just come back. He's pretty much going to be done for the year. Uh, and that concerns me. And again, it's a philosophy thing. Um, and it really sucks because, you know, like he and Jake McGee, at least McGee is the elbow chips. Now, if you're going to ask me which one's going to be back first, who's going to earn more money, that's going to be Jake McGee in 2015. But put me on the very pessimistic side. Uh, with Sean Doolittle this year, but really good thing that they got uh, Tyler Clippard uh, as the insurance policy because that's a really nice insurance policy. Yeah, it is. It is very much. Um, I mean, like if <clears throat> if Doolittle goes okay, ale, I, say, I guess ale only league. If he goes, say this this your draft happens right now, does he go for five dollars or less? And if so, you know, are you in? I guess. Um, no, no, I'm not in. Uh, again, this will this will go to anything else we talk about with any offseason surgery. All we have right now is the player news to go off of. Right. I feel great. I'm going to be fine. This is going to work, and then it doesn't. Right. So I'm always pessimistic about these types of things. I let somebody else take the risk. I'll go. I'll you know pay the extra couple of dollars for somebody who's healthy, who's on the right track. I just I hate relying on players. Yeah, well, I think, and I I, t- I mean I tend to agree with you, but. Um, I, I guess, like to me, it's always how much of this can you, how much of the situation can you leverage? In a sense, like everybody wants a reliable or you know, and a quote unquote healthy closer. But how many of them do we have right now in the AL and or the NL? I mean, like that's we probably find more of them in the NL. Uh, and I'm basing this strictly on what I remember from last year. This is not a you know a grand look at the closers right now or anything. But you know, everybody wants that. But there's so few players who can do. I mean, like you have. A one-year wonder in Zach Britton, uh, Dylan Batances. There's a lot of uncertainty there. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty in other ways. Like, I guess my first thought is, like, if I could get Doolittle for five bucks, I mean, what are the chances that somebody's going to pay, like, more than, like, 11, 10, 11, 12 bucks for Tyler Clippard? I guess, you know, possibly. But if I could get both for the for the price of a top-end closer in an AL-only league or less, and maybe I go to 13 or 14 to push it, but, like, at least I've secured that kind of... Um, situation well yeah. <laughs> this far in advance quote unquote secured but i mean I, I so i think that there's a there's a point at which you still kind of try to leverage that news because there's a lot of uncertainty out there um as far as the rest of the jobs go too and i, I guess relatively speaking they may look better right now but are they really that much more secure uh, given you know Batansis is basically has one year under his belt of pretty good uh, bullpen work and I think yeah talent wise he's he's going to be phenomenal but if people are going to pay like top end dollar for him already assuming that he's going to be the guy mm-hmm. uh, to hold the job all year there's I mean there's you're you're risking a lot um, that <clears throat> I guess like all, all the relative situations for the closer are not as clear cut uh, as we kind of think them to be especially when you compare well, cases and we know that and we know that 30% of them are going to change hands anyhow so it's right. you know it's really where it's going to go but <sighs> Yeah, I, I just again, I'm very, I don't like these guys. That oh, they're fine. And, and the shoulder again. If this was an elbow, 
I'm feeling a lot better about this. Like Jake McGee, if you ask me what I pay for McGee right now, I'm probably still you know going to be low teens with him right now with the okay, way the wow. new stands. But uh, with with Doolittle, I'm not going over five bucks. See now, like that's a situation where like I could see Kevin Jepson and they've they've played a little more musical chairs there. They're not necessarily so like that one. See that situation to me is a little less clear cut. I mean, I guess you could say the same about the A's. I mean, they have Ryan Cook, um, I'm, I'm, uh, Fernando Abad, even, and I guess in a pinch. I mean, they have players, but I guess uh, – <clears throat> and you also have an unknown as far as the, how the new manager is going to handle that situation. So I guess it's – there's there's a little more uncertainty still with me for Tampa Bay because I think that there's there are options and other things to consider there. But – so I, I would probably be out once McGee got into double digits, but I would be more, I would be more confident in purchasing him for the similar reasons. But I would not be willing as willing as you are. I mean, you and I have you and I have been in these these mixed auctions before, and we've seen you know that top tier that, that you know closures that the one tier the top tier goes fifteen, sixteen, sometimes seventeen dollars. In mixed leagues, they can tier. go up to twenty. Yeah, and that next tier will go like ten to fifteen. McGee, yeah. if healthy, is a tier one. With missing a few weeks, he's going to be a tier two guy. So we add ten, eleven, possibly twelve dollars. Yes, after that, I'm out. Okay, I wouldn't put him quite in that tier one yet because I think that there's a little more uncertainty with him. But I mean, he's I think he's pretty close. Obviously, I mean he he's he unquestionably has his skills. Um, but anyway, let's move to uh, and you kind of alluded to this in a way, but uh, let's move to a best shape of his life story because these are already, of course, popping up. They've probably been pop. They've sort of been popping up for weeks, but I kind of ignored them. But uh, Jared Weaver added 25 pounds so that he could pitch deeper into games is basically what he said. Does this affect anything as far as your outlook for him goes? No, unless he added five miles an hour on his fastball. I don't care. <laughs> that's In theory, that's like that'd like to be where like I'd like to translate this, but obviously there's no way you could certainly do that. Think of anything. I mean, he's... His career eye in innings pitched uh, is 235 and two-thirds in 2011, uh, base, and 224 the year before that, but basically is, is otherwise uh, seesawing, and it's basically a 200-inning guy. So, uh, and, and it's been a few years since he really got well into the 200s. I, I, I mean, I kind of understand uh, overall. I think more so, if anything, this is <clears throat> this is beneficial to the Halos bullpen because it's <laughs> – it's not been particularly pretty in the last couple of years. So I guess right. in theory that could work out. And uh, whoever is, is kind of uh, building the bridge to Houston Street, uh, in theory that should kind of bring up or bring back the save opportunities number for the Halos because they've always been pretty good at producing them, uh, mostly because they have bad pitching but and a lot of offense. <laughs> we, we haven't even talked about the best shape of his life there's been somebody who's come out with two best shape of his life stories already this offseason. Two. And I don't even see him on the list, and that would be Jesus Montero. I have uh, seen well, two report, two different reports of him being in a good shape and then getting, getting even to a better shape this offseason. This is a miracle. <laughs> we, talked, uh, we talked about it for a, a minute or two on Thursday, just briefly just saying, like, hey, is this – like, he's not a guy I would dismiss. Like, I'd be willing to take him as my last reserve pick in an AL-only league. I think people – like, I wouldn't be completely dismissive. I want to draft guys who have talent, in, you know, at, at the end of my roster. And I don't want – you know, I don't want a uh, – I can't think of a, an Eric Sogard. I don't care about that. Like, I can, I can pick up playing time uh, in season. So I want to go right. like, it may have a 0.05% chance of hitting, 
uh, or less. <laughs> but I'll still take that chance over the playing time guy because I can still pick up the playing time guy. So, uh, like, yeah, I'm not saying I have a lot of hope for that, especially because there are a ton of guys in front of him. But if he's hitting, you know, sooner or later, I guess the, the Mariners will probably want to give him a look. So, I mean, is that anything beyond that, obviously? Would he be, instead of an AL labor, for instance, would ins- would he instead be your fifth guy in your in your reserve picks or your, or, your sixth guy? <laughs> yeah, uh, and he'd be my second catcher in, a, in AL only, but... He was on my team, but in, in Tout Wars in the past, probably get him back. I don't know. I've always been a sucker for that dude. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, that's interesting. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I mean, yeah, it's hard. I guess I shouldn't say it's hard to question the hitting talent because he always hasn't put he hasn't always put that forth. But I, th- you know, he also he really hasn't applied himself always. So, uh, and that's. I mean, he's dropped. You know, the the news says he's dropped about forty pounds. So actually, that puts him only. Maybe that means he's only a little overweight. Uh, but it, it's encouraging, I guess. And another. This is another one, uh, and this is the kind of thing where, like, I'm curious to see what you think. What, what would you do in a draft going into it? Josh Hamilton. I mean, nobody wants this guy anymore, right? Like, he's 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 a lost cause as far as fantasy owners are concerned. He's getting back this uh, Jerry Naron, which was like his accountability guy in Texas, uh, and. Um, is now the AAA coach for the for the Halos, and that means basically he will only get to work with Hamilton in spring training. Um, and I'm sure at some point they can uh, text and talk and stuff like that on the phone or whatever. But <clears throat> this is the guy who kind of kept Hamilton on the straight and narrow, or was his you know, for lack of better purposes, kind of his uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, whatever that guy is that uh, does that uh, for you. Yes, <laughs> your coach. Yes, yeah. kind of your yeah your. He's your go-to person when you're feeling a little uh, like ready to go back on the stuff or something like that. Anyway, I don't, and I'm maybe getting that. But anyway, like this is this is this is a totally intangible story. Certainly nothing to do that would affect your projection or anything like that. But it's like if I'm at the end of the draft, I don't even know like where does he go. That's what I was, I'm curious. Like I was going to check Hamilton's average draft position. Uh, at least in the early going, and say, have, you know, has the fantasy world completely given up on him? Because if so, that's the kind of thing I would take a chance on him for. Two oh eight. Two oh eight. Yeah, that's. I guess like, <clears throat> like I see Jock Peterson goes after him. I'd rather take a shot on Jock Peterson. Um, really, really, with the playing time as crowded as it still is in L.A. Uh, I think. So. I mean, I think like that kind of talent went out. I guess, but and that's yeah. That's I guess you're right. It's not. Uh, it's not a clear cut. Like Marlon Burr goes later. I would. I it. it this would depend on how my team is constructed. I would probably take him. I think Marlon Bird continues to be a little undervalued. Like he's he's going to hit two forty or two fifty, but he'd probably hit twenty five home runs. I would like that kind of production. All right, explain this to me. How does Jason Worth's average draft position fifty spots ahead of Hamilton with the shoulder issue that Worth's going through right now? My guess is that this is like, I mean, this is a build up over the off season, and it hasn't had time to kind of. Influence average draft position. Even yet. worth even worth's lowest draft is one eighty one. Yeah, even that's then, and I, I would take Hamilton over Worth right now. Yeah. I don't like those shoulder things at all. Even if yeah, he no, comes I, back, I am concerned. Never, it's never a smooth recovery. Yeah, I am concerned about that. I I would agree with you. I would take a Hamilton. I would not be one like I would not go into a draft with Jason Worth uh, probably on my draft list. Like he would have to drop a good bit farther for for me to consider him there. Well, and well, and this this brings me to another player, uh, which is Prince Fielder, 
you know, he's fully healthy and ready to go, yada, yada, yada. Uh, the thing I find interesting about Fielder is there's not really much of a he-missed-a-year discount, at least in my opinion. I mean, and we know that there's obviously potentially a considerable amount of upside, but he goes mm-hmm. – well, I mean, it's a, it's pick uh, on average, I guess, pick 73 based on – this is from the NFB, BC, um, RT Sports. Uh, right now, those are the only two things really fueling these averages. Uh, and I guess, you know, eventually we'll get some some other sources influencing these because eventually they get stuff from CBS, uh, Yahoo, I think, ESPN, et cetera, et cetera. So, <clears throat> but for now, like, Fielder, I, I mean, I, I've seen him go. I want to say that he went in the in the Rotograss mock draft, like in the fourth round or so, fifth round maybe. Um, I've seen him go earlier than that. Like his um, – it, it's – I guess – what is your feeling on a fielder? Because at the same time, like I, I, I'm not even sure how to assess uh, coming off this neck thing. How is it? You know, how is this going to affect him? He says he's past it, but uh, these things, I guess, have a way, uh, have a tendency to linger. Uh, he has not necessarily the greatest body type for baseball or for any type of quote unquote athlete. Um, you know, where are you drafting this guy? <laughs> Yeah, I feel great. Everything I'm ready to play right now. I'll go play some pickup baseball. I heard I heard him. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was talking about the other day. No, I mean when I look at it, you mentioned his ADP again early season, but he's going ahead of Joey Votto. He's going uh, around ahead of David Ortiz. He's going, you know, around ahead of Chris Davis. If you're drafting fielder, you obviously are doing power. He's at 73, and Chris Carter's at 143. I'd rather take Chris Carter. Then Prince Fielder, I'll take Chris Carter at 143 over Prince Fielder at 173. Hell, I'll jump ahead and get Chris Carter a little bit, but I'm not. I'm. I don't want any part of Prince Fielder in top 75. Okay. Um, yeah, I I think that's what makes me nervous. I'm a more, I'm more confident in a re, Joey Vadu rebound, even though the ceiling, or or if I mean, if you're in an OBP league, obviously it's a it's a totally different story because he's he's probably right. 30, he's 30 or 40 picks better, but. Even then, like a Vado, I'm confident is going to hit 300 plus. He'll hit 15 to 20 home runs. I'm very confident. I'm pretty confident in a Vado rebound. I don't know. It, it, it's really hard to say to get a clear assessment of fielder at least until you see him play. So, right. I, and, and I guess maybe that's part of this is when you have these early drafts, uh, people just say, "Hey, what the heck? I guess it's time to pull that trigger." Because um, there's really no way to know. I guess it, it's hard to say what you think of the projection. Um, Steamer projection <clears throat> has Fielder at 282, and this is in 138 games played, 599 played appearances, 282 average. I, I can't help but think that the average is a little high, but in general, uh, the Globe Life Park or whatever they're calling it these days, I guess it, it enhances the average a little bit. It's a better offensive environment, obviously, than Comerica was. 24 well, homers. Been, yeah, it's been neutralized a little bit. I mean, they did some construction to the park there that got rid of the wind tunnel and left field that we right. used to have. That used to jet. So where it used to be a really nice park for left-handed batters is now just average. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I, I want no part of him in the top 75. And I'll take Votto and uh, you know Ortiz doesn't qualify at first. I wish he did. I, I still take him. And hell, I'm even, I'm even more interested in a Chris Davis rebound than I am at Prince Fielder. Yeah, I think like... Right there, where um, Pujols makes me nervous, but uh, he's his 
his his quote unquote his value is I mean his ADP is about the same as it was last year if not a little lower. Right. So if anything, like there's no discount for the fact that he had a pretty good season, <laughs> or there's or there's no uh, there's no uh, inflation for that. So I think that that's pretty encouraging. But like I'd want to jump in on that Adrian Gonzalez tier or or otherwise get that Joey Votto because I, right now I don't want to take that risk on a fielder. Like I don't have to I don't have to do that right. if I, if I have a more uh, uh, a more appealing alternative. Dustin Pedroia says he's passed. Now, this was a disastrous season for Pedroia. I mean, he he produced virtually no power. Um, and he's saying that this wrist, wrist injury, I guess, basically almost wanted to, it, it sounded as if he, he wanted us to understand how much this affected his power production. He says he's hitting balls 400-plus feet in batting practice again and yada, yada, yada. H- how much are you buying into this? Uh, and... <laughs> He's taking batting practice in Arizona. Of course, it's going to go 400 yeah. feet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But no, in all seriousness, the, the wrist, if your wrist is screwed up, it's going to affect I – mean, that's everything with your swing, and it's going right. to mess things up. I mean, the skills – all the other skills held up, even though he wasn't hitting for power, you know, all the other skills held up. But at the same time, it's really tough to ignore the fact that his isolated power is in a five-year slide. Yes. 205, 167, 160, 114, and 98 last year with the hurt wrist. So let's, you know, if, even if we give him 20 points back, uh, and give, you know, 20 points for the wrist, that's 118. That's still a big drop. I mean, if the wrist has been a problem, it's been a problem for two years because he went from 160 to 114. That's a big drop. Right. So that's that's kind of what I'm worried about. How much of that is he going to get back if the wrist has been a problem for two full seasons? You know, how much of that is he going to get back? And then, the, you know, the stolen bases as well. This is what made him a nice fantasy player. He went from being a 2020 guy in 2011. His stolen base total has dropped each of the past four seasons. The the power, he's, he can still rake the doubles. Just balls aren't going over the fence. He's still going to hit. I mean, his worst batting ever season is 278. I wish we could all do that. He hit 278 without being able to hit the ball as hard as he normally does. So batting average and runs are still going to be there for this guy. You know, was he going to drive in? Not sure if he's going to drive in the 80, 90 that he did a couple of years there, but I still think this is a safe two-category player. Yeah, I think that's that's where I kind of – I was like, well, I, you know, I'm not ready to give you that all that back, Pedroia. I mean, I think – so say that we get some kind of uh, surgence or, re, you know, surge or resurgence in power and we get him back to 10 home runs, That's I mean, which is what he's projected for Steamer and fans – uh, but I think, like, if anything, that's more going to influence the batting average and the opportunities for the other things. And Boston should, ha- again, have a pretty good lineup because uh, assuming that a lot of things that went bad, uh, went wrong last year won't uh, go wrong again this year. Um, and I think that that's like – that gives him the potential to still out-earn. Because, I mean, we're talking about a guy who was typically drafted – even even uh, in 2013 was typically drafted as kind of a top 30, 35 player – yeah, uh, for a number of reasons, and now he's dropped about fifty spots from the previous season. There's a potential there to kind of get some profit, but it's not going to be. I mean, it's not going to be in the home run category, likely. Uh, Boston. Well, I disagree on the. Pro- I disagree on the profit just because of the name. Uh, I, I don't see profit there with him. I see an ADP of ninety two right now for him, and but yet I think it's properly placed in terms of the position because behind him is a guy like Josh Harrison, Matt Carpenter, Colton Wong, Mookie, Mookie Betts, Neil Walker, Danny Santana, Ben Zobrist all the way down there at 148. You know, yeah, I I think, yeah, I disagree with Zobrist being that low, but I think in context of where he is at his possession, a position rather it's, he's properly ranked 
yeah. properly ADP, but I don't know if there's any value for them just because of the people are going to see the name always healthy. I'm going to spend him, and I, I bet you he ends up going twenty dollars again in an AL only league when he shouldn't. Okay, and that's fair. I think I mean yeah. If there starts to be if if his ADP or his average price in auctions or whatever, if the, if it gets higher than it is, then I wouldn't be interested. Like, I'll take it now, but be, there might be some good vibes and all that stuff that factor into this and affect the price by draft day, and I'm already out. Because, yeah, there's more upside with guys below him, or at the very least are more reliable and they don't cost as much, or just as reliable and they don't cost as much. And Pedroia has had the dings and the dops and then all this stuff. I mean, it's not like it's the first time he's dealt with that stuff, so it's not like, how, how can you guarantee us that that won't happen again? He is on the wrong side of 30 nowadays, so uh, he's... There's a little bit of potential, I guess, there right now, to me, at least to me. But um, by the same token, those things affect prices, and suddenly, you know, if anybody else is feeling too good about it, then I'm out. Joe Maurer says he's healthy and in a good place. I don't know where that place is because it's probably not in Minnesota, but he's obviously he's back there. I mean, I, I think primarily this is dealing uh, uh, regarding the concussions and all that stuff that he dealt with. This is kind of the first uh, normal off season he's had. That's an encouraging thing. Obviously, being a first baseman who hits for average uh, reduces you to basically James Loney territory. That's always the greatest comp to me. Um, where does he factor in on your on your draft day board? I mean, he's virtually forgotten in terms of the first base position, uh, but he still goes just outside the two hundred top two hundred picks. Yeah, I mean, somebody the other day couldn't believe how low that his uh, his ADP was. And I'm like, you, you said it, you said it right there that he's, uh, you know, he's another James Loney. We look at how without the catcher eligibility, his value drops way, way off. And that's really what you, you know, what you have to look at is, is where he's going. You know, he's right now, he's a 209 guy. He's outside of the top 200. But this guy's always been you know, somebody that you're taking in the top 75 at catcher. And the, but this is what he is. The, the power is not coming back. When you look at the numbers, he is what he is. And, you know, post-concussion or, or what have you, this is a guy that's going to hit for average and drive and run simply because he hits in the where he's going to hit in the lineup, not based on any skill. And I, I, this is another guy that I see name value. is going to be like, wait, what, what am I going to do? Remember, he had 28 home runs that one year where he just started hitting bombs all over the place. But this is a guy that still hits too many balls in the ground, and those are not going to become home runs. Right. And he's going to have to hit for a super high average to justify rostering a first baseman that doesn't hit double digit home runs and you know who knows where he's going to be at 200 sure i'll take him but that's what it's really a problem here when you're talking again that that low average i'd rather shoot i'd rather have james loney <laughs> because he'll cost nothing well he's also he can also hit, he can also rack some home runs and yeah he'll cost nothing now, i bet you if we re- if we revisit this conversation in in uh you know april i bet you joe mauer's going for more than james loney in drafts yeah yeah i'm sure and, and i think i mean that's a th- i like i mean mauer has the potential to er- certainly to earn more money than than loney there's uh, there shouldn't be any question about that uh but it's just you know how much more especially like when you're talking at a corner position like i see the players just before him like this could be a breakout year for Brandon Belt. He goes just before Joe Maurer. I want. I, I'm hopping on Belt before I even get to the. Hey, do I have to consider Joe Maurer before I, things get really bad? But even then, like a Mike Napoli, like he, you know, sure. there's a 20 home run guy. 
Uh, Brandon Moss goes just before Maurer. I love Brandon Moss, especially in Cleveland, where he's going to play like to that neutral or even like slightly better uh, park for right uh, to right field for left-handed power. I mean, think this could mm-hmm. be this could be kind of a banner year for Moss now that he's uh, presumably if he's if the if the hip surgery has. Uh, has done him well, so I mean, there's there's some more interesting players. I mean, Billy Butler could have a rebound and put up just the same same type of numbers as a Mauer. There's a, there, there's a, basically I see the, you know like Joe Mauer or Steve Pierce. I'm going to take Mauer because I don't buy into Steve Pierce one bit. That's kind of where <laughs> like that's well, that's about know. it. Uh, maybe I I don't know. I mean Pierce, I it's definitely a process change. But he's going to have to have too many things. You know, he's going to have to have all those fly balls go up and over again. Um, but there's definitely a change in process there. I think the change I mean, he in... Could still, he could still hit 15-plus home runs. Yeah, and that's... I mean, that's true. But, like, is a, I, it's hard for me to see where the change in process led to a ton of different... Like, I don't see... Like, I when I remember... And I remember talking about him on a couple of different podcasts. that I, I don't see, like, a ton of changes as far as his... Um, his peripheral numbers and his components and things like that. Like there's no, there was no real uh, dramatic effect on them. Like he still strikes out a ton. I was, and, and I was trying to find like, I mean, he, nothing about the peripherals said that he really uh, improved much against right-handed pitchers. And maybe, maybe it is something uh, that is strictly, that's just going to show up as far as his process goes. And I guess I'm just, I'm a little too wary of him. Uh, at right. Point. Yeah, no, he's definitely, he's definitely due for a discount this year, but we're talking, we're still talking about a guy who's a heavy fly ball hitter in a part, in a park that accentuates right-handed power. That's, and, and that's, that's kind of where I see it. So I think he can still run the home runs. The batting average is going to come down. I don't see him hitting all the home runs, but again, it's still, a, it's still a big thing uh, for that. Yeah. So now let's get, uh, to me, these are the more interesting things to talk about uh, in a way. But um, I do like talking about, like, what, hey, you know, how do you think about these guys' draft value? But uh, now it's time to talk about just, for instance, Taiwan Walker, Ruinus, Ruinus Elias. Elias. Elias, okay. And Erasmo Ramirez, they'll compete for, the, uh, it looks like they're going to be competing kind of again for the number five rotation spot for Seattle. And obviously Walker is kind of the, he's the guy that fantasy owners want to win it. Most of them, I guess, because, you know, like an Eno will want Elias to win that spot because he maybe, and I don't want to put words in Eno's mouth, but uh, like he liked Elias. He, he kind of, he grew on him. Um, Ramirez has always kind of been the the saber darling as far as uh, the strikeout to walk ratio and things like that, that kind of were the, um, the precursor to uh advanced analysis but he didn't always deliver uh, but he had a he had a pretty good season at times uh, last year and uh but the strikeout the strikeout rate is still it's no longer really that attractive um the walk rate has kind of ballooned uh he's not he's never been a guy that interests me because i think he throws too many too many strikes that are bad strikes so i don't i don't really put much faith in him like i think if you're going to have if you're going to let a guy go out there and fail more often than not at this point, you might as well let Ty, uh, Walker go, and I think that that's what Seattle would do. What do you? Where do you stand on an Elias? You know, I I would give him the job here only because when I look at a couple of things, Erasmus Ramirez, you know, I believe he's out of options uh, because you know they've optioned him up, down, up, down so many years, but I'm almost certain he's out of options. And so he might play he, better in the bullpen for them. Is kind of that. 
that or he gets traded. Yeah. I, I just don't. I you know they know what they have or don't have in him. Rather, than I could see him being somebody that gets moved for another player that that's out of options yeah. for a need that they have. You know, with Walker, I he I think he has another option left in an ideal world. They send him to the Tacoma to start the year. Uh, and let him do that, and I think you give Elias that job. I mean, he he has an above average strikeout rate for relievers, uh, for uh, starting pitchers rather, twenty one percent last year. So he was able to get that. Uh, home runs are a bit of a problem, but you know that is uh, that's what's going to happen uh, with him. <laughs> but I think it, it, you know, he's a good fist starter. Let Walker as 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 high as Walker's pedigree is, we still haven't seen Walker really get all that done. So what's the harm in letting him go down to Tacoma to work on it just a little more before bringing him back up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can understand that. I, I mean, <clears throat> is what's interesting about Elias is, I mean, he has two pitches that get uh, great ground ball rates uh, in the change in the curve. I think the curve is kind of what he's really known for is developing. I mean, and it it, it got about 14% swinging strikes. The change, the change with uh, about 17%. I mean, and it's a... It's a, it's a, I can work with that fastball uh, compared to those, uh, those other two pitches. So, I mean, he's, he's kind of got that array of pitches that makes you think that he could kind of repeat that. And I guess the question is, is does he, does he come back in and, and locate the kind of the way he did last year? And yet, yeah, home runs could be a problem. Obviously, pitching in Safeco Field that makes it a little less of a problem. But I mean, he's, a, he's an interesting pitcher. This is not a guy I would pick up in a mixed league, of course, but in an A only league, he's still. I mean, he can get you. I mean, he's. He goes for a couple of bucks and gives you that at least. It's, it, there seems like a good chance of that. Whereas Walker is, he is still, yeah, there's still, we still haven't seen Walker really let it go. And he's, yeah. he had that shoulder thing at the beginning of last season. Uh, who's to say that that doesn't pop up again? I mean, there's a, there's an array of things that make me a little nervous about Walker. If I can get that kind of talent, though, say in AL only leagues, five bucks or less, or I can get him at the end of a mixed league draft, I would still take a ch- chance on that. So I think that that's... And that's just a rough ballpark figure. Obviously, having something more in mind as as we get closer to an actual draft is a different story. But uh, another another pitcher who I think is ever what at the time, and I don't know, I haven't actually looked at his, his numbers since then. But what do you think of Anthony Descalfani? This is a guy that Cincinnati, first of all, says that he has basically will get a, a very good shot at claiming a rotation spot in an overhauled Cincinnati. Uh, basically a lot of the team overhauled uh, he'll have a shot to claim a rotation spot was not at all impressive uh, for Miami last season uh, at least in terms of the results uh, with a 627 ERA but uh, has put up some decent ERAs in the minors uh, basically he just doesn't walk anybody I mean that's kind of his calling card um, and I think I, I want to say that I like, he, he interested me a little bit because I thought okay I think this guy could put up strikeouts too but I'm starting to second guess that is this a guy that interests you? And I guess in an NL only league because he's not going to play anywhere else. Um, when you look at the minor league numbers, he did a pretty good job of keeping the ball in the park. Again, like you said, didn't walk anybody. Uh, he was able to do that. The strikeout rates were decent. This would be enough to, for me to speculate end game, mm-hmm. uh, you know, end game reserve roster perhaps, but really not much more than that. I mean, these aren't the the minor league numbers don't jump out at you. They're good, but they're not great. And when I look at them, I want great minor league numbers. They move down, but these are decent. These are enough to intrigue me and watch. But that's really about it. Nothing to super get me excited. Yeah, I think. What and just looking at the pitch type peripheral stuff from him, like he looks kind of like a fastball slider guy, and it's like the fastball is not good. So 
like I, he needs to do something else to kind of show me that. Um, so, I, you know, it's like maybe I take a shot in the end game, but like I hope I have other options. <laughs> like I would take him as a last resort kind of thing, and maybe maybe you. Well, lucky. when I look at the report, when I also see the report that Zimmerman gave from the AFL, fastball slider, no change. I mean, to me, this is yeah. bullpen, but they're being talked about yep. him being in the rotation. And let's think back to you know fastball slider. Not that he, not that he's anywhere near uh, this guy, but you know Eovaldi is a guy that can get by on fastball and slider, but that change. But he has his limitations because of the lack of the off-speed pitch. And Eovaldi also throws mid to upper nineties, and that's not where that's not where. Uh, Dees Clefini lives. He's he's low to low mid nineties. Yeah. So yeah, that's where he has him eighty nine ninety four here. So you know, the, the velocity allows Eovaldi to overcome some of his limitations, but I, that's not the case here. We're talking about a guy that's going to end up in the bullpen. But that combination and the fastball slider combination, especially with the slider, uh, is something that could re- that could be nice in a deep NL only league. But that's really where that's where his ceiling is. Yeah. Yeah. Now a um, couple of interesting. Uh, Basically, and only outfielders here. Uh, Johnny Gomes to Atlanta and Ichiro to Miami. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Johnny Gomes commanded the four uh, the four million dollars for a one year deal, whereas Ichiro. I mean, Ichiro basically doesn't have a spot to play. Whereas, I guess, um, I mean, basically, you and I could probably compete for an outfield spot in Atlanta right now. Well, uh, yeah, they had to pay somebody. <laughs> they had to pay somebody to come down there and play. Yeah. So maybe that's why that's why Gomes got the four million. And, and speaking of this, does this. This does nothing to help Atlanta's situation as far as their defense goes in the outfield because it was it was already not looking good and this potentially makes it atrocious if if Gomes uh, earns any significant playing time. But uh, if you had to pick one of these guys, I mean, I guess Gomes in theory is probably going to get more playing time. But like, uh, you know, if you if one each of these players, you know, a buck or two, whatever he's going to cost in an only league, which one would you take? Here's the thing. What I don't get, you know, Gomes gets the four million dollars as the short side guy of the platoon. Let's say he's right. terrible against righties, right? So he's not going to be out there. I in each role, you don't know where's where's he going to play. I mean, unless you, you unless somebody gets hurt down there, there's really not a spot. So he's a nice bench ad. You know, Gomes for the for, you know for the power spot, maybe that works out well for you know he'll he can get some cheap homers if you look at him. Along that regard, but what what's Ichiro going to provide? Even if you draft him as a he's not really going to hit for much of an average. So what's he going to provide for you? I'd rather have Gomes. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I guess basically, it's a question of Gomes probably gets more playing time, whereas Ichiro, it's hard to forecast much of much if any playing time for him. And hey, home runs and RBIs really for Gomes and what he what he's able to do. That's it. Yeah. Okay, uh, now I want to talk about just a couple of things because obviously Eno has lamented on Javier Baez for a while, and we haven't. So we, I didn't even see the need to bring this up with him. I mean, he's, you know, he's not a Baez guy, and I'm not like I used to love him, and I still like him, but I'm, you know, I'm wary of where, like, what's his cost going to be this year, uh, yada yada yada. And he's been working on his. First of all, they said um, coming in that he'll have to earn his playing time this year. I mean, he's not going to be handed to something. Like, Jorge Soler has a job. Baez, at least according to the front office for now, doesn't isn't going to be handed the job. Uh, and he's also been working a lot on the approach, cutting down on the strikeouts is an aim. I mean, is this – where are you on, a, on Baez? Is this guy that strikes out too, free, too much for you, so no matter what, you're not interested? I think I tweeted something about a month ago. I said, even if Javier Baez improved his strikeout rate by 25%, <laughs> he still would have been one of the three worst in baseball last year. Uh, and, and 
how much can a guy improve his strikeout rate from one season to the next? I don't know the best improvement, but I'm guessing nobody's done more than uh, had a 20% improvement in it. So I don't want to. I mean, this is another guy named Value. He's, his ADP right now is 151. He's go. He's right there, neck and neck with Daniel Murphy. Mm-hmm. I'd rather have Daniel Murphy because you know, you know what Daniel Murphy can provide. But when I'm looking at uh, you know, guys up the middle, that's where he's being taken. And I don't want any part of bias in the top 150. There's the 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 floor is is higher is lower than the the ceiling is higher with him right now. Just uh, maybe next year, not now. Yeah. See, and now as far as bias goes, I mean, like I like like he passes the eye test for me. But watch, like, and from reading this article. I mean, I thought, okay, like, this is something, this is my amateur hitting coach coming through. Like, that's, you know, I want to say, like, based on the process that they're describing here, uh, it sounds to me like this could work for him. But even if I'm anticipating or speculating that kind of thing, yeah, like around pick 150, like, I still want, I, I still want a good sense of reliability. Like, I feel like there's still a decent chance that I'm totally wasting money or a pick there. And... I don't get like I want him closer to Joe Mauer territory <laughs> before I'm really considering this because there is like the floor is back in the minor leagues and you know what I mean I don't know what the exact percentage is but it has a decent chance of happening so I don't really know why people are so and I love bias I mean as a talent but I mean there's sure. there's a lot to there's a lot to be wary of and it's, it's just I guess it's he it's, had more hat tricks last year than he did home runs and when you're sw- <laughs> when you're swinging like that. Yeah, you know, at least get the results. That we had 15, 15 doubles, home run total. He had eleven hat tricks. It, it's just, it's crazy. He had as many walks. Is that the as golden sombrero? Plus, uh, golden sombrero would be the, uh, the four, four strikeouts. Five would be the magic hat. Uh, okay. but yeah, that's where you, you know, the, fifteen just doubles three plus home runs. Uh, and he had three strikeouts. Is 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 a hat trick three strikeouts in the game? Hat trick, yeah, hat trick. Golden Sabrero is four. Magic Hat is five. That's how I was trained. But okay. you know, fifteen fifteen doubles plus home runs, fifteen walks. It's just too much risk here for me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Speaking of risk, and we're now we're getting into also some pitchers who bring that. And uh, Jose Fernandez. We know he had the Tommy John surgery. People love Jose Fernandez. Can't blame you. He's back sometime after June first. Uh, we don't know how soon after June 1st, but we knew that he'll be back. Now, here's a pitcher. I mean, all the talent in the world. Hard to say how he'll bounce back from this surgery, but got to be optimistic. What is his like his draft day price for you, for instance? Uh, is this a guy that you'll be interested in? This is an elbow surgery, and it's not, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, basically he goes around the pick 200. Is that To me that says, wow, that's like, this is a guy I wouldn't mind taking a chance on stashing. Like, especially in a mixed league, like the easier it is to replace him. I would, I'm not sure I'd want him in an NL only league. All right, so we're talking about a guy that at best is going to miss the first two months of the year. Right. Despite that, he's being drafted ahead of Colin McHugh, Ooh. Dallas Keuchel, yeah, but- Jose Quintana, and I would take Jose Quintana all day long over Quint- four months of Jose Fernandez. Quintana, I could see. I mean, I think. Well, I think in a mixed league, you could make an easier argument for Fernandez because you can replace Fernandez more easily, especially in a shallow mixed league. Like, a, but, but I mean, even even for in two months of production, I mean, when you missing that kind of time, then you've got to then you've got to look at it and say, okay, then he's going to dominate for four months. And when's the last time we saw one of these guys come back from Tommy John surgery and dominate right out of the gate? I mean, there's some struggle. There's you know, pitch count issues. 
I mean, there's my boyfriend Homer Bailey hanging out down there below him. Francisco Liriano, I'm looking at multiple pitchers that yeah. I would rather have than four months of Jose Fernandez, understanding that at least one of those months is not going to be good. Yeah, that's true. And that's, I think you you make a good point. There. I mean, the, the fact that pl- pitching is or can be so plentiful i mean you look at some of the names I'm, i mean i'm i'm still i'm not a mike fires buyer uh but like and some of the other pitchers I mean, matt shoemaker i tend to i tend to like ian kennedy i could kind of take or leave especially with that outfield defense i would probably be more willing to leave him now uh fernandez is a guy who's around and tanner roark like i'm not drafting him i would take fernandez before roark but i could probably get because some of the guys I can get after Fernandez, like I don't need to take a Fernandez. So they, he needs to dominate the way he did, like you said, to really kind of uh, for basically three months to warrant that kind of pick. And you still and you and you get something as far as a replacement goes. Um, Bailey is a yeah. Bailey is a guy that I would probably take. McHugh, I'm not like I don't. I mean, he was all kind of fat. I mean, and he threw a lot of sliders. Like, I mean, he could be des. He could be destined to be headed for the the uh, the, the surgeon's table uh, not too long into the right, season. How about this? How about you know? How about Danny Sal, uh, Salazar with the improvements that he made? Yeah. Last year when he came back from the minor leagues, with the improvements he made, he's going almost three rounds after Jose Fernandez. With the improvements that Salazar made, going into his third year in the league now. Yeah. You know, where are you with that? Is that somebody? Do, or, I would take. Let's... I've always been a Salazar guy. I was really disappointed, okay. but, but I and I also didn't. I don't think I ended up with him in any leagues because his draft price was so ridiculous. Oh, sky by high. The, yeah. yeah, by the time I got into it, I was like, I'm not paying this. Like, I love the guy, but I was when I thought I could get him for under ten dollars. He was going eighteen. Yeah, he went nineteen in AL labor. I was like, jeez, like that's that's insane. Yeah, um, but Salazar is a reasonably is a reasonably priced guy this year. He's a guy that I, I'd probably be on quite a bit. Shelby Miller also in Atlanta. I think that there's some uh, – if the if if the defense wasn't so questionable, I'd be more excited. But Miller is – like I think that uh, there's still a lot of potential with Miller. Um, like Scott Casimir is like – I mean, he, he's a he's kind of a reliable 350 ERA, don't you think? I mean, like that's that, – we're not really going to get the strikeouts anymore, per se. But like and he's down there forty picks after forty picks after Fernandez, right? So I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's you start to get into. I mean, I guess there could be you know we could be looking at a Mike Minor bounce back. I mean, you you start to get into some some sketchy scenarios. AJ Burnett is one I'd probably be interested in. I mean, he's his price looks pretty um, non-committal. I mean, you're talking a, a one dollar reserve pick in a, a mixed league right now for AJ Burnett. I mean, I think that there's a very realistic poss- possibility for a bounce back now that he's had the hernia surgery, hernia surgery, yep. and all that stuff back in Pittsburgh. And so. As I and as I scroll down the list, Trevor Bauer at three twenty two is downright criminal right now. <laughs> downright criminal, folks. I do like Bauer. You're drafting early. I do like Bauer. I think that. I mean, I'd like to see. I'd like to see some evidence or some news that he's going to kind of narrow the the number of pitches that I mean, cause I think some of them don't really have like, he throws so many pitches that I think like he needs to pick a few that are really good and, and get rid of a couple that are kind of, you know, league average, but yeah, there's a guy that, yeah, is, that's, you're talking talent wise. There's, there's a lot to like Jesse Hahn is right down there as well. And basically all he has speaking to, of lots of sliders, yeah, basically all he has to do is stay healthy, which will be no easy task for him. Uh, there's a lot, there is a lot of talent in pitching, period. Uh, 
It seems like it grows <laughs> every year. <clears throat> um, and speaking of, so like Adam Wainwright, that's not a pitcher I'm re- I'm ready to touch this year. Uh, surgery to fix that damaged cartilage and the issue in the elbow. He says he's been throwing for 100% for a while now. It feels like he's having a normal offseason. That's usually the magic words for me. I'm having a normal offseason. But the way things ended last year, it just like it made me nervous. It's like because he seemed like this guy who's still – you know, down the road, he's going to need another Tommy John surgery sooner or later. It's, well, he's currently being taken ahead of Zach Greinke, John Lester, Cole Hamels, Jordan Zimmerman, right. all four pitchers that I would rather have than Adam Wainwright in this Absolutely. current condition. Absolutely. And I think that that's, like, I, I, I feel as if the crowd has kind of said, oh, I totally, like, I don't remember anything wrong with Wainwright last year. Does I mean, that's the way it seems to me. You would think. I, mean, I saw him go. I saw him go in a fifth round of a mock. I'm doing now. Mocks are a little different because you know people are like, oh, whatever. It's mock, but I'm looking at it. He's got a 47 in NFBC. And he's got a 40, a, a 25 in RTS. Yes. So there's your difference between there's your difference between mock drafts and people spending money. But people spending money are still treating this guy like a top 50 pitcher right now. And Jordan Zimmerman's going 16 picks after him. Yeah. And Matt Harvey in his shape is going 20 picks after him. Sonny Gray, a guy is at 80. Alex Cobb, 83. Garrett Cole, 85. James Shields, the unemployed James Shields, is still at 97. I mean, no, with with Rainwright, there's there's risk there. And I'm not I'm not I'm not spending top fifty top, top sixty money or pick on him. Yeah, absolutely not. He's he he concerns me too much. I'm I'm willing to be wrong about Adam Wainwright. <laughs> Cliff Lee, flexor pronator strain. Now this is an interesting one too. Says so he's already uh, this. I mean, he's probably thrown again since this news came out, but he's already thrown a handful of times, progressing quickly. Obviously, he missed much of most of last season. Uh, th- he has this is this is kind of thing where there's a little bit of I, don't, I guess cognitive dissonance. I'm not sure what else to call it. Like he has a repertoire that's very health friendly or p- very pitcher friendly as far as health goes, and he experienced the health issue. It isn't. It is near the elbow and, and all this stuff. Uh, is this a guy you're worried about? Yeah, flexor pronator strain. Those are things I'm Precursor. always concerned about. Or, yeah, so yeah, it's all, <laughs> that's one of the things that always concerns me. I'm trying to think. There was a couple of guys uh, that were able to overcome that, but that that's a concerning thing for me. So, uh, yeah, but I'm trying to think, where is he? Average yeah, draft right is, now, yeah, just outside oof. the top 30. I mean, mid-30s, 34. Okay, I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. Okay. I'm not sure, like, I, I guess my my feeling generally is, like, Gio Gonzalez, I love Gio Gonzalez this year. I think he's, I think Gonzalez could have kind of a banner year this year. Um, and a Jacob deGrom going a little bit before that. Like, I think, I mean, I think, for instance, there, there's a, there's a, there's a doubter discount as far as deGrom goes, because this guy seemed to emerge kind of out of nowhere. And he's already gone through the injury thing. Uh, he has multiple very good pitches. But he's a guy I'd be confident in taking. There are not a ton of guys that are going in that range necessarily that are um, that I'd be confident in. But there's also there are also plenty of pitchers that I might want to take after Lee that I'd be a little just as comfortable with. I think that that's I guess based on his history and it's like if as long as he's healthy, everything about his performance is reliable. And even then, like the numbers last season were not were not too bad. Uh, and this is when he was dealing with the health issue. I'm I. I guess with any pitcher who's already dealing with the 
at some point, uh, any pitcher who's already dealing with the injury thing, and there, and each one is unique, but it's it seems hard to make the case to pay even what most folks are willing to pay right now. Like they need to fall a good bit farther. Right. Well, pitchers after leading the NFBC right now: Drew Smiley, Anibal Sanchez, Ian Kennedy, Matt Latos, Phil Hughes. Justin Verlander, Jared Weaver, Chris Archer. Those are eight names that are falling right after him. Uh, I'd probably take most of those names over Cliff Lee right now. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, we already talked about Vado. Reports on his uh, everything about uh, his health. Uh, distal quad strain is what basically screwed up his 2014. He's very, very good. Like I said, I mean, I've, all the things that I've read about him, uh, I'd be encouraged. Like, I think that there's a very realistic chance for a bounce back. And I think even like a, a decent chance that he stays healthy, but that's, that's far from guarantee, obviously, because he's dealt with multiple things with the knee. And I mean, just, but it's all lower body, no upper body issues. That's why like, you know, comparing him and fielder, like I'd feel more confident in taking a fielder, even though the reward wouldn't be as great. Um, any, you, and you mentioned him as well. Is there any, any concern you have for Vado? I mean, is this, is this a good year to get Vado for you? Um, I'm not terribly concerned about him as much with things. I think he'll be okay. Uh, we talked earlier that he's going after Prince Fielder in, in ADP right now, and I'd rather have Votto than Fielder. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I want to get into when we, we always get a ton of requests. Uh, well, not a ton, but we, we do get uh, several requests, and uh, there's some that are kind of always waiting in the pot, but are a few that came up I would, that I thought would uh, be fun to bounce these off, Jason, because uh, we have one one of the listeners has uh, been questioning, uh, Eno and I, particularly on Twitter, but I wanted to see what Jason thought of this because it's, it's a 16-team league, a standard 5x5, five five, and he says plus OPS, but he also says plus whip, so I'm not sure what the actual sixth category is because whip is part of the standard 5x5 five five, as far as I can recall. Uh, but he has a – Yeah, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, he has it's a, one of those holds leagues. Yeah, it must. Yeah, maybe it's it's holes or something like that. Um, Rollins or Rosenthal was kind of one of his debates. I mean, he's he's clearly he is clearly centered in or focused on uh, a few different players here, and basically is having trouble determining how to go. Rose, Rollins or Rosenthal, then they have a Plouffe, Pineda, or Mejia. Um, keep one from each of those two groups, uh, and then also, I guess he was like, maybe I should think. Uh, third base and shortstop I don't really have either of those things covered do I keep Rollins Machado or Rosenthal I guess you'd have to pick one from that group I'm not sure exactly how many total he's keeping but based on this information I mean first of all I mean my thought is I mean I'm keeping Rosenthal um, of the group right and I would not be keeping Pineda because he's just a starting pitcher and he's probably going to be hurt by May (laughs) but uh, beyond that, like I'm not really sure where, uh, entirely where to go. I think I have, you know, have an idea. But like Plouffe doesn't excite me, but Ron and Rollins doesn't really excite me. But I guess like I don't, uh, I'm, I'm not really sure where to go with it beyond that. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, this is this question is it's involved. I'll yeah. give it that. <laughs> um, you know, Plouffe doesn't excite me, but I think I'd take him as the as the. The the Plouffe, Pineda, or Mejia part of that, the Rosenthal or Rollins, I take I take Rosenthal, mm-hmm. and like, I think that's the fa- it. The fact that there are sixteen teams in this kind of factors in because like if you don't keep a Rollins or a Plouffe, I mean I guess it depends on where these guys are going to come up in your draft and how many everybody else is keeping. Right. That it, it, there's a lot there that you know may affect our decision one way or another. Rosenthal to me is the only clear keeper. Um. 
you know, obviously having two closers in a 16-team league would be to, you know, could be to your benefit, but what are you giving up uh, in terms of those other things? Plouffe doesn't excite me. I think if I, I think I would keep Rollins over Plouffe because he's going to steal me bases, and, and it's not a lot, maybe 25, and hit 10 homers, but uh, like Plouffe, probably hit. I am concerned about the move from from uh, Citizens Bank Park to Dodger Stadium. A little bit, but Dodger Stadium also, uh, I mean, it's somewhat advantageous for left-handed hitting, not quite as good as Citizens Bank Park, uh, but that is, that's kind of been diminished there a little bit too, but I think, yeah, overall, Citizens Bank Park plays well for right-handed, uh, to right field, um, and Rollins being a switch hitter, that's going to affect him two-thirds of the time or so. Yeah, it's... It, it's a, it's not an easy question, I guess, especially because of all the things involved there. But um, and he's an old shortstop too. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's that. Uh, this is <clears throat> um, wanted to get into, and the, now we get into a couple of kind of older questions. And one is this is uh, something that Eno and I missed on a couple of failed podcasts. So I got his take. Uh, now I'm kind of interested. Eno seems to think that you know this is this is a legit possibility, but uh, and a lot has to go right. What do you think? You know, Steamer comes out with a twenty home run projection for Logan Morrison. You think that's doable, or do you think that that's kind of hey, there's something wrong with the projection system? Uh, there's something wrong with the projection system. I mean, it's honestly last four years this guy has uh, eclipsed three hundred and three hundred seventy five plate appearances just one time, mm-hmm. and if you're going to hit that many home runs. At least if he's going to hit that many home runs, he has to play. And he hasn't done that very well. That's been a problem for him. Last year, he, he, I'm looking at numbers usually against lefties. That was a problem. But last year in limited sample size, he hit him well for average. Really didn't show much power. And against righties, he's kind of been blah. This one is really strange to me. I'd like to see where it's coming from. Uh, outside uh, for the the fools that believe the uh, age, tw- pardon me, the age twenty seven thing means anything, <laughs> um, and it doesn't. Um, and, and please stop using it. I don't know where this this one's coming from. I'm, I'm this guy doesn't he doesn't have good health, and and that to me is going to be limiting him. Even if somewhere he starts showing some skills, uh, some skills break out out of nowhere. Uh, I don't I don't get the optimism here. Yeah, I think. I mean, ultimately, I think the yeah the big issue with the projection is the playing time projection because <laughs> he's fallen well short of that in each of the past three seasons. I think I think he could hit twenty home runs, but that would be like and he and he hit the twenty three obviously in two thousand eleven, and that's still kind of, that was still kind of a big ballpark then. But like twenty home runs, I don't want to say it's a career year. It's just kind of like that's that's toward the ceiling. Like that's like that's not the projection I want to go into a draft saying. Ah well, like what's the midpoint? And I think that that's like Steamer seems to be kind of a. I don't know if that's a depth depth chart thing. I think that was one of the things you know pointed out is that maybe that was a depth chart thing and that uh, he, they're just giving him too much playing time. But the fact that I how, think it's a I think it's a player ID thing and something got crossed up <laughs> on the back end. <laughs> or there's just that damn low mo, low mo and slow mo for Jason. Yeah, it, there's so overall n- not. Not as optimistic as Steamer, and and that's I think that's a, the thing is Steamer is not often more optimistic than other people are. So that's a, that is kind of a strange one. Uh, and the last one that I wanted to ask you about specifically um, is because you mentioned uh, also um, 
that he is her boyfriend, but I kind of remember that from before. Was uh, this uh, someone has been interested in Homer Bailey coming into this season? Because obviously, you know, he was. <clears throat> if I'm, if I'm, I mean, he had a huge Homer issue early on in the season, but overall, the numbers didn't look too bad. Uh, the strikeout rate, uh, not not quite what it was in 2013, but uh, I mean, overall, a bit of an you know, just a kind of an inflated. Uh, number as far as the ERA goes, 371. Uh, components are kind of hitting, the, they're kind of uh, in the middle on both ends uh, as far as that goes. But I think that there's, a, you know, it's reasonable to think that a bounce back is in Stewart, especially if you're looking at a full season from from Bailey. Where are you on him as far as like, obviously we know you take a chance on him as you get into the middle stages or later stages of your draft. Uh, but are you kind of are you saying like this is a guy I want in every one of my drafts because of the price and we've seen what he's done before or is it is it uh, is 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 it a lukewarm feeling or is it even uh, you know I'm not even sure if I want him. You know you know I can't quit him even last year with a bad year he still had a 123 uh, whip which puts him in the last three years 124 112 and 123. DRA is going to be high just because of the the home run, and that's what kind of hurt him last year. You look at the home run, the fly ball rate, it was career high, 14.4%. And, and like you said, a lot of that came early uh, with him. But the strikeout rate was still above league average. He still held batters to a sub-250 batting average. There's a lot to like here, uh, and I'm willing to give him another chance. Even with the home run issue, he still only allowed 16 last year. Uh, it was in 23 starts, so he didn't make the full season start. But I'm, I'm still willing to give him another chance um, with this because the base skills that I liked going into last year are still there now. Yeah, I think – I mean, it's like what is – the question for me is, I mean, it, it seems to be uh, that the type of the type of injury that he dealt with last year. I mean, this is not a thing that lasts. Like, it's not – this is not – like, basically, I mean, I could be – you could probably pretty comf- confidently project him for 30 starts. Or more. Yes. So this is the only thing. The only thing I would ask myself as I'm getting into that time where it's like, hey, do I jump? Do I make the jump for Bailey now? Is like, what is the ceiling? Because like, even when we saw his best se- uh, best season um, in 2013, uh, he went 209 innings and posted a 3.49 ERA uh, with 199 strikeouts, and those are all pretty good numbers. But it's like, am I going to get to eight strikeouts per nine innings? Uh, because I would, I would really like that. Uh, from a pitcher because I think I can get that from other pitchers at around that track time. I think right. more often than not, I'd be willing to take a Bailey because I think there's going to be a rebound. All right, so you mentioned earlier about Mike Fires. You know, Mike Fires is going over two full rounds ahead of Homer Bailey. Yeah, and that's yeah. strange to say the least. Exactly. Justin Verlander, with all of his issues last year, is going uh, 42 picks ahead of Homer Bailey. Ian Kennedy, somebody you mentioned, 43 picks ahead of him. So, it's it's those things. That's yeah. where we kind of look at it and say, okay, what? No, I'm willing. As long as Homer Bailey's hanging out of this, uh, as long as he's hanging <clears throat> outside the top 200 like this, yeah. I'm in. I, I think this guy's a top 175 guy again, um, and I'm looking at that's what I'm looking at for him. Yeah, or even top. I mean, certainly could be better than that. I think yeah. When you and when you put it in that perspective, I mean, I I, I kind of agree. Like I, there. There are a number of pitchers ahead of him that I would rather take. You know, that I would rather have. I'd rather have Bailey than them, and I think that right now makes my decision pretty easy. You know, as it as it pushes up, and if he you know starts to approach the one seventy five or one fifty, then it's like, oh, all right, I have something to debate. But I'm, I think I'm kind of there with you more often than not. Like I'd be willing to take a Homer Bailey at his current price. Well, I think that is going to do it for this edition of the Sleeper and the Bust. 
as always, it is awesome to talk some uh, some baseball and some fantasy baseball with Jason Collette. Jason, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. This was fun. Glad I could do it. Hope to do it again here soon. Yeah, Let's Jason. Get this Sunday going regular again. Jason has been emailing. He's been he's had ants in his pants to say the least. That's probably putting it <laughs> kindly. He's had ants in his pants, and he's been and he can't get enough wrestling. So, yes, that too. <laughs> although I although I am disappointed that Roman Reigns won the Royal Rumble. Spoiler alert, but. They uh, they let him win. Oh, you were totally and booing, and They're booing The Rock, apparently, which really pisses me off because that's my all-time fave. The Rock. Yes. You know what? I like The Rock. but it's, The mic skills, skills are unbelievable. I actually, more so, I can't believe I'm about to say this. I kind of like his acting. So I guess that makes him a good wrestler, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, and thanks for spoiling it for me because I had that on my DVR and now I can just erase it. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. Uh, I'm Nicholas Minix, and this is episode 187. It is The Sleeper and the Bust. <laughs> Boom.